Welcome, everyone, to episode four of State of the Nation. State of the Nation is an every Tuesday episode where David and I talk about what's happening. We relate it to big picture stuff, the things that are going on in the bankless community, in the bankless nation. And we hope to drop some insights and action items every single week. David, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Really stepping up the YouTube game with this brand new sexy graphics that you guys see on the screen. Uh, this is just a, a video recording, but soon it will become a live stream. Uh, really stepping up the Bankless YouTube channel. David is now a certified video DJ. At least he's going to night school for it. So we're excited <laughs> to see his skills. And if it's a little choppy, you know who to blame. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Throw me into I'm just the fire kidding. The first I'm one. just kidding. No, he's, he's, it's going to be great. So, okay. So every Tuesday we release this on YouTube and then it comes out on the podcast on Wednesday. And actually today we are super excited to have a special guest. We're not going to tell you who it is yet. We'll get to that in a few minutes, but I think you are going to be excited as well. But David, we should talk about what's going on in the, the main podcast too, because it's, it's an exciting month already. We just finished a podcast with uh, Chris Berninski, which was absolutely fantastic. What were your takeaways from that, sir? Yeah, recording that episode with Chris was, was just fantastic. And I, I'm really glad that he allowed us to, to take uh, a lot of time and go through diligently a lot of different topics because they all related to each other and they all deserved, uh, you know, they all deserved their own time, right? And so uh, Chris was really generous with us. He gave us like an, over an hour and a half just to go one, one by one through the various topics that have really surged in the Ethereum and, and DeFi world. Um, going all the way back to like things like fairness and equity and the way that these digital nations are different from nation states and how that relates to liquidity mining and the comp token system and the governance tokens, everything kind of stitched together really, really well. So just fantastic conversation with Chris. And we have a fantastic guest coming up next week as well. Uh, Ryan, you want to tell us about that one? Yeah, you know what? So, so uh, it's Vitalik. You know, <laughs> Vitalik is one of those people who doesn't need a last name. I guess he's, mm -hmm. he's sort of entered the, uh, the Madonna um, phase of his fame. But I, I am so excited to bring Vitalik on. I've never actually, you've done a podcast with him, David, but mm -hmm. I've never um, actually talked to him or spoken to him. So I'm incredibly excited. Uh, the Bankless community is already providing a ton of fodder for questions. We are going to be uber prepared for that. Um, I got to be honest, I'm a little bit nervous about this one. I don't know why. It's it's just uh I mean it's Vitalik. We're, like is that normal? <laughs> uh I, I think I think when it all comes down to it, you will find that it's actually very chill. Uh Vitalik's like one of the most chill people that I know. Uh and so like people get like people people think like it's it's like a massive big deal and everyone gets nervous about Vitalik and oh there's Vitalik and he doesn't think like that and and I don't think you should either. It's it's, it's he's a very chill individual. He is. Yeah. And, you know, he definitely um, has an incredibly interesting way of thinking. Uh, just mm -hmm. a, a funny story. When um, I tweeted that out that we were having Vitalik on, Vitalik obviously already knew about it, but that was sort of a reminder for him. And he pinged me and he said, oh, when's our podcast again? And I was like, I told him the date and time. Uh, and then he goes, so in 46.5 hours? <laughs> like, and yes, I was like, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> I whipped out the calculator and then I was like, yes. 
46.5 hours, Vitalik. We'll see you then. So, <laughs> uh, you know, he just has an incredibly unique way of thinking, and that's going to be a, uh, an exciting podcast. So yeah, he's counting down. He's counting down until, until counting the down. podcast. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's doing. He's preparing his 46-hour timer to count down. All right. We've got a lot to cover. Uh, before we get into the topics, we should talk about our fantastic new sponsors. We have dedicated sponsors now for State of the Nation, first time. David, can you talk about uh, our first sponsor? Yeah, our first sponsor is Ave, which is just uh, elegantly floating onto the screen right at this present moment. Ave <laughs> is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum, except it's got cool extra gadgets, cool extra mechanisms that you might not be used to with your typical borrowing and lending application. Uh, the one that I'm really excited about is the stable interest uh, loans. And so you can borrow from Ave with an interest rate that won't change under your feet. So that's a really important uh, system, a really important protocol to, to leverage so you can have stability in your financial life. Uh, we all love MakerDAO, but watching a 0.5% uh, interest rate skyrocket up to 20.5% interest rate in 12 months, uh, that would have wrecked a lot of people if they had depended on that for their personal life or their business, et cetera. And so that's something that you can do on Ave. You can check them out at Ave.com. Awesome. And our second sponsor is Argent. Which is also Argent, showing up right on the screen the right wallet. now. Nice, nice job, David. You are just <laughs> nailing it. Well done. The night school's paying off, my friend. <laughs> so uh, Argent is a bankless wallet. This is one of my favorite wallets. I, you know what? It's my favorite mobile wallet. Uh, in the DeFi space. I think it's the best, actually. So you have easy access to Aave, uh, Compound, Pool Together, Kyber, Token Sets. This is so easy that your parents can use it. I'm telling you, it's just a mobile app download. Go to the App Store. You can download it. It's secure. It's easy to use. UX is fantastic. There's no seed phrase. There's no ledger to worry about. You can set your guard, uh, guardians on it. So there's social recovery and they've got over $20 million locked inside of it today. So this is a non-custodial way to go bankless. This is the ultimate bankless wallet. I think Argent is definitely the future. You got to go check them out. If you're doing anything in DeFi and doing anything in the, in the crypto space, check them out at argent.xyz. We will include a link to both of these sponsors in the show notes. David, my question for you, sir, is this. What is the state of the nation today? The state of the nation is hungry. We are hungry. Hungry, okay. Yeah, so, and this is exactly what we're going to get into with our special guest who is yet to be revealed. Uh, so wait, wait, wait. How, how hungry are we? Are we like, like hungry, like um, we've been intermittent fasting for like, you know, three days kind of hungry or like... Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. We, we, we have not done the 72-hour complete fast, but we are intermittent <laughs> fasting. Uh, the, the tummy's grumbling. Uh, and, but the thing is like, we're, we're also finding food, right? So... Uh, another thousand BTC just came to Ethereum. Tether just and USDC continues to uh, reach all times highs on Ethereum. A lot of assets come into Ethereum, right? Realty, by the way, passed two million dollars in tokenized real estate on Ethereum, uh, and so like we're 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 passing those milestones too, right? So uh, anybody that has assets, off-chain assets on Ethereum is reaching all time highs on Ethereum, right? Like find one protocol or system that, that puts assets on Ethereum that isn't at all time highs like right now. And so the, the Ethereum ecosystem is sucking in assets, sucking in value. And we're hungry for more. We want more. more. Hungry for more assets. You heard it there. Uh, so hungry for apples? 
uh, <laughs> assets. <laughs> that was a Rick and Morty yeah. reference. All right. <laughs> so yeah. So I, but I don't think. Uh, I mean, you know, not hungry yet in a gluttonous way, right? So we're not we're not filling our plate yet. There's there's at the at the all you can eat buffet. There's a lot of room, I think, to grow. There's a lot of room in in the belly. Is that the analogy we're going for? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that today. But the first topic we want to talk about, and this is where our special guest comes in. Uh, is on the subject of ETH, the asset. So um, we brought in Luke Martin. He was kind enough to join us from Venture Coinist. Uh, Luke is one of, I think, the most interesting narrative investors in the space. Uh, he does a ton of trading, lots of other things, a great account to follow. Um, you got to check out his full body of work. But I put out a tweet recently that said this. Um, so as David was saying, Ethereum is hungry. It's sucking in all of these assets. And I said, I'm a fundamentals investor. I don't dabble as much with narrative investing. But if I was to put money on a narrative, it would be this. DeFi boom equals ETH moon. What's good for DeFi is good for ETH, the asset. Nothing certain, but this seems like one of the most obvious narrative plays I've seen in crypto. Again, I'm not a narrative investor as much um, I think a little bit more about kind of fundamentals, though narrative investing is an incredible way to make gains in crypto, I will admit. Um, I've seen Luke Martin talk about this and, and write about this previously. So we thought we would bring him on to sort to sort of weigh in on the subject. All right. So we brought Luke in. Luke, how are you doing today, sir? Welcome to State well. of the Nation. I'm doing well, guys. Good to be here. I'm hungry as well. Now, you guys are talking <laughs> hungry. It's, it's got me hungry, uh, hungry for breakfast, but I know a lot of people are hungry for yield and everything else. So a lot to talk about. Yeah. And you know what else they're hungry about is um, narratives because that can be a key way to invest. Um, I sort of like, glean this through my travels, but also through some uh, commentary that um, I, I, I've heard you say on the subject. And I sort of think that there's kind of three approaches one might take to crypto. One is sort of a, a trader type approach, right? Where you're looking at charts and you're trading. Um, the second is a narrative investor approach where you're looking at, hey, what's the next narrative we can front run and then jumping on that. And the third is uh, fundamentals, you know, and some people, whatever fundamentals are in crypto, right? That's, there's some, some room for debate there, but those are the three ways of, of thinking about crypto. Um, yeah. So what are your thoughts on the, the narrative side of things? Um, you think this, like we see the success of DeFi and that's pretty clear and Ethereum sucking in all these assets, uh, but we're not seeing ETH price rise. Um, is there a narrative here that like exists and that we can front run or do you think it's just not going to happen? See, this, this is a really interesting one. Uh, even you saying that, that the ETH price has not risen yet. It's just been a muted rise, especially when you compare it to how well some of these DeFi tokens have done, right? You look at Lend, you look at, uh, Thor comp and all these coins that have gone up many multiples over the past few months. ETH does look like it hasn't risen, but if you go back to March, April, May, ETH was one of the only majors that was rising. You know, compare that to Tron or to Ripple or to EOS, which have all kind of steadily gone down until about a week ago. Uh, So I think we're we're just starting to see maybe a more mature ETH. It takes a lot more money to move an asset like ETH versus some of these smaller tokens, which are now getting some traction, right? I do think this DeFi narrative is a massive tailwind for ETH, I just think it's going to take maybe a little bit longer to get the kind of uh, moves we're used to in the past. And how do narratives like these usually work, Luke, when you see them? How do they kind of propagate? And, um, you know, is, it, what's, the, what's the art to this or what's the science in sort of predicting the next big thing? 
I, I honestly focus a little bit less on predicting. And it, it's funny, you know, we've, we've had so many narratives. The narratives really never stop in crypto, you know, following the ICO boom, uh, when all the tokens kind of first came out, when there was a token boom and new coins hitting the market uh, 24-7, there was a massive focus on coins that could scale Ethereum. And even if a coin really wasn't focused on that or if the project didn't have too much merit, if it branded itself as scaling Ethereum, people were rushing to buy that coin. And then we saw it with decentralized exchange coins. We've seen it kind of over and over again. We're seeing it right now with DeFi. And the funny thing is you didn't even have to be early. I mean, I've made one of my first DeFi trades, I think uh, probably 30 days ago or a month ago, and that's doing quite well. And I wasn't early at all, right? I was quite skeptical, kind of late to join on the train, but, but still doing okay. Uh, momentum and trends just dominate here in crypto when there is, even if you know fundamentals do play a role, it's really hard to value how much the fundamentals uh, you know, should attribute to, to something's value. So narratives and momentum and the trend really kind of dominate what's happening. And the how thing about, think, go ahead, David. How much do you think that this is the fact that like, so we have this, Ethereum's like this ecosystem, right? And it has the market cap of Ether, the asset, but then it also has the value of all the other assets on the platform right and so when all of these different DeFi tokens come into existence like comp did at, and then smack their way into a billion dollar valuation or you have things like lend aves token that does like i don't know what like 30x over like nine months or something so the market cap of all the tokens on ethereum grows and so like part of the narrative i i think is just the fact that eth is just proximate to all of these things and so like maybe in a more concrete way, uh, like investors are speculating that the profits from all of these tokens are going to just cycle back into Ether. But that, is, that, is, that, is that a narrative or is that actually something closer to fundamentals? And how does that impact your, your decisions? I think you could, you could tie that to either. I, th I would say it's probably largely uh, more a narrative uh, just because if DeFi is the narrative, right, is that DeFi is going to continue to compound, this infrastructure is going to last, more and more assets are going to continue to kind of be staked uh, and be used in this infrastructure. That's the narrative. And, and the narrative is that ETH will take off because of that. I think you could also draw another relation and say, uh, if you're a large asset manager, if you're a large investor, even a high net worth individual that wants to invest in some of these things, it's really hard to do, especially if, unless you're deep in, in understanding how these things work, you understand how wallets work, you can navigate a decentralized exchange. Um, so really the only way to get exposure to some of these things is to try to invest in the platform they're running on, which is ETH. So I imagine there's a, a pretty big handful of people that see DeFi, see that that's bullish right now, see those tokens are doing well and say, how do I get involved? I'm just going to buy ETH, anticipating that that rises with this narrative growing. I totally get your point uh, earlier where, where you said, hey, look, the narrative actually is positively impacting ETH the price. It's not, it, you know, it's um, appreciated relative to other layer one assets like, you know, Tron or XRP or, th or things like that. Um, and I, I agree with that. Um, that said, we haven't yet seen the, the parabolic growth in ETH like we saw in 2017. So when ETH's first use case kind of blew up, which was ICOs, which I think of as DeFi, right? This is, um, this is you know, permissionless DeFi fundraising, if you will, that we didn't call it that back then. ETH absolutely exploded in price, uh, someone at the same time. Yet now we have uh, DeFi assets kind of going parabolic and reaching sim almost similar levels of um, uh, hype. And Ridiculousness. ETH, yes, and ETH is not yet moving. So I guess um, 
my question is, do you think it's, it's different this time? Do you think that uh, th- there's some reason for that? Has the narrative just not you know, sunk in enough or it, are we looking at a dead narrative? I think there's two key differences. I think the first one is with ICOs, uh, you had to be buying ETH to participate, right? It was the reserve currency and in order to participate in that ICO, you were buying ETH, you had to hold ETH to deploy it into the next ICO. There weren't stable coins, right? Sure. Well, there were, but there wasn't that much of a focus on them. And you definitely weren't uh, depositing into the ICO with, with your stable coins. It was very rare if, if an ICO accepted a stable coin or Bitcoin. Very, very rare, right? Like maybe one or two that I can think of. So constantly having to buy ETH. And then even after you sold that coin, you would have to reload your ETH to continue participating in this ICO boom. That's just not happening. Um, and I know that ETH does work with some of these infrastructures, work with these, sim- work with these systems, but you don't have to touch ETH if you don't want to. I think that's one factor. I think the other factor is the hype is incredible with, with this DeFi thing. I think it's really the first meme and, and narrative that's taken a hold of the entire crypto space. You know, even if you're a Bitcoiner and you don't like what's happening, you <laughs> still hear about this stuff 24 um, seven. And that's new. So, uh, but even kind of taking that into account, people outside of the crypto atmosphere, the crypto environment, I don't think they're as in tune with what's happening as they were with the ICO boom. I don't think it's reached kind of mainstream hype uh, the same way that ICOs did. And partially maybe because it's harder to get involved. Like I said, it's a very steep learning curve. If you want to get involved with, with lending or with yield farming or any of those things, just to understand what's happening and then to actually deploy assets into them is a way bigger step than it was just with ICOs, one or two clicks. So uh, I think those two things play a role, but maybe maybe time kind of uh, helps conquer both those. Yeah, the nice thing with uh, DeFi, of course, is that any asset can get involved. So if you are really excited about Bitcoin, the asset, you can start using Bitcoin on DeFi as WBTC or TBDC and some of these other derivatives. Uh, so I think it, you know, hopefully it will draw some more attention uh, and draw some more interest. But But back to this idea of like, um, it feels to me a potential narrative is, is this uh, for maybe institutions, maybe more classic investors who are like, I don't necessarily want to buy a comp token because that's complicated. Um, but I want some sort of proxy to the value appreciation of DeFi. And the meme of, well, um, ETH captures upside, like DeFi tokens are like the S&P 500 of Ethereum and ETH captures the upside of that as the reserve asset of DeFi. It seems like that narrative, even if it's not like, regardless of what you think of, of the fundamentals or how true the reality is, that narrative could take hold on the, even the institutional side who can now, because ETH is a commodity, who can now start purchasing ETH in a uh, fairly, you know, regulatory unburdened way. Um, what would it take for a narrative like that to sort of sink into the institutional side of things and get ma- more mainstream investors really excited? I mean, I think, I think it's already happening, right? And, and like you said, whether they can't invest in comp because it's too risky or they don't understand it, or ETH is just more liquid, right? For a lot of investors, you know, Bitcoin and ETH are the only options because those are the most liquid options. Um, so I think it's already taking hold. If a crypto investor wants to be involved in this DeFi thing and can't do it in such a uh, granular level and they, and they want to be involved, they're probably choosing the ETH route and it's probably going to continue as DeFi picks up steam. So I think that's only going to build on itself. Uh, there's also a couple other narratives that I think could really help. You know, you see ADA right now doing quite well and the staking and the yield farming is only going to continue to pick up steam as ETH 2.0 and, and 
staking and, and all these things kind of combined, uh, they're really going to start to reinforce each other. So I think the narratives can, can kind of combine in a way uh, as people continue to look for yield, as they get more comfortable uh, finding assets that, that give yield in the crypto space. I think ETH is going to play a pretty big role in, in all those things. One thing that's pretty interesting to me is that the ETH 2.0 hype definitely impacted the 2017 ETH price run up to like $1,400. That's true. And like, I, th I think we're it around was... the same, at least with what we understood at in 2017, 2018, Ethereum 2.0 was like right around the corner. Like it was perhaps no more than 12 months away. And now that's roughly still the same projected <laughs> timeline. But like, that means like the hype of Ethereum 2.0 is theoretically right around the corner. So like maybe we're kind of just waiting for these stars align with Ethereum 2.0 plus this whole new narrative ecosystem that we've been generating. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I remember when I first got into the space, that was early 2017 and I was reading about ETH 2.0 coming out. So who knows when it comes out? I'm sure Vitalik will, uh, your next guest will have a lot more to say about that than, than I have any insight there. But yeah, I think, um, you know, yield farming and staking we've seen clearly that, that people are chasing that trend and momentum tends to last year. I try not to fight trends here because, um, you know, fighting momentum in any asset class is tough. Fighting it in crypto is, is uh, pretty brutal. So, uh, you know, who knows? I think as long as the ball keeps rolling uh, with DeFi, I think ETH is going to be a very nice uh, benefactor of, of what's happening there. So Luke, you like yield farming, you like staking, you like DeFi, any other narratives that we should be watching out for, for uh, the folks that are, tuning in and are interested in doing some narrative investing themselves? Uh, I would say ETH is probably the most interesting. And, and I want to make a note. I find all those topics incredibly interesting, but I learn a lot from you guys and people like Tony Shang and Andrew King. I am trying to learn as much as I can. I don't participate in some of the, the, the yield farming and all that. It's still over my head, some of those things. But I absolutely love uh, when a narrative like this does take hold and we are starting to see ETH and, and other assets benefit from that, uh, assets actually moving there. So uh, I think that's going to be huge. I think uh, another thing to watch is if Bitcoin and the S&P, if, if this correlation actually does break down, I think that's incredibly bullish. So uh, it's going to be a fun time ahead and, and watching how ETH develops through all this is, is uh, top of my list of what I'm watching. Luke, it's been awesome to have you. Thank you for taking the time uh, for the Bankless Nation to share your thoughts on the narrative side of things. Luke, how can folks find you and learn more about what you're up to? Definitely. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. I'm most active on Twitter, at VentureCoinist, or you can just search Luke Martin. I'll be one of the first ones to pop up and uh, on YouTube as well. But Twitter's where I'm most active. Awesome. Luke, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, appreciate bro. it, guys. Cheers. Yeah, I think um, I think Luke's right on there, David. Um, mm -hmm. You know, ETH is definitely one of the big narratives uh, to watch. Um, how, how much do you personally partake in narrative investing versus you know just you know, stacking your ETH, stacking your Bitcoin? Um, the only thing that narratives really impact me is how aggressively I stack or not. <laughs> if there if there's perhaps less hype, less narratives, maybe maybe I'll keep keep some more cash in my legacy world. But uh, if if the hype definitely comes, like it has recently, I will definitely back up the truck as much as possible. Uh, <laughs> right. I've not I've not ever been private on the fact that you know I generally hold as a minimum amount of cash in my bank account as possible because I want to live a bankless life. And so when there's value there, it gets moved over to Ethereum. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Our second topic, this goes back to, I think, the state of the nation being hungry. So we just passed another milestone and we that's two, 2 billion locked in DeFi. I'm going to show it on the screen for everybody because I'm, I'm so excited about it. But absolutely. David, what, is, I, what does I, all this mean? 
I think the also the right milestone is uh, the fact that not only are we into two billion into DeFi instead of the previous one billion where we were, but the speed at which it came, right? So it took us, you know, over a year and a half to get to one billion in, in DeFi, probably even longer than that. And it took us what, like six months, four months to get to get it to two billion. Uh, and so the the narrative is that you know DeFi is going to be knocking down these billion dollar milestones faster and faster and faster. And so like the next step, in my opinion, is not three billion. It's ten billion. Three billion is going to come tomorrow. Ten billion is going to take a little bit more time. But that's where we're going. So you are saying basically DeFi Pulse should stop uh, showing their graphs linearly and move to a log logarithmic graph because this thing is going exponential. Well, I mean, look at it, right? Like, so the first one, two, three, four, five uh, units, uh, lines, vertical lines that they have there are the, the majority of the line is all under that, that first $5 million mark. And then this last two units or one and a half, really, it, it crushes three uh, three half billion dollar increments in the last like month and a half. So at some point like that, the, the linearness of a graph is not going to be able to tell you good information. Yeah. I, it, it looks like here it's, um, it's interesting to kind of look back and see what the rocket fuel was that, that entire first segment here, um, up until, you know, February or so seemed mm -hmm. to be driven primarily by collateralized lending, right. Sort of, uh, protocols like maker, um, is maker, not the king maker is not the king. Maker's anymore, not the king. Maker was the reigning king for a pretty long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that was basically the first two years or so of growth that we've seen, but now we see this very clear inflection point in around mid June where DeFi is taking off yet again. But this time we know what the rocket fuel is. We did that episode with Dan Elitzer and that's uh, yield farming with comp tokens, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so that seems to be the next wave and sure enough, comp compound is now, is now the reigning King. So it seems like what's happening in the evolution of DeFi is we're going along and then we hit some inflection point and then things shoot up and then we hit another inflection point, another breakthrough, mm -hmm. and then things shoot up. It, it seems difficult to predict what the next inflection point is going to be, right? Like, uh, is it, first of all, I think we'll probably get a, really decent run on this yield farming stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but after that, what's next? Well, so I think a lot of, you got it right. A lot of things are happening all at once here, right? And so yield farming and liquidity mining isn't really just one thing, right? And so it's what that thing is, is really just, it broke the floor of what is possible on Ethereum. And, it, and when I say broke the floor, I mean like the gravity well that is Ethereum uh, is now deeper, right? It's now stronger. There's more assets on Ethereum. Uh, it broke the floor of Ethereum, as in like it, uh, there's so many more and more different assets coming to Ethereum. Like Bitcoin on Ethereum is at its all-time highs. Um, uh, and stable coins on Ethereum are at its all-time highs. And just, and like I said earlier, like realty tokenized real estate is on Ethereum at an all-time high, right? And so like it's, liquidity mining just allowed for the gravitational pull of Ethereum to become a lot stronger, right? And so all assets are coming into Ethereum from all different corners because the gravity well that is DeFi, that is one single composed Ethereum structure of applications is just more useful for all of these assets.
right? That I think brings us to the third topic, David. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to show this uh, this image, this graphic on this on the screen in a minute. But that is this image of DeFi as a vortex. Um, you're talking about the gravity well. I mean, you could you could use a black hole as mm -hmm. an analogy or image. This is really uh, a vortex type of image. So almost like a, a hurricane on the screen that that you're seeing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, right. So this is a, a fantastic graphic. And uh, it, when I, I wrote this, that article, Ethereum is an emergent structure way back when. And when I saw this graphic, I was like, this is what that is illustrating, right? So the whole thesis about Ethereum as an emergent structure is that all these applications on Ethereum are compo compose themselves together. That's really the power of Ethereum is composability, right? And so this vortex, what this vortex is showing is that the liquidity gadgets like Balancer, Uniswap, and Curve are directly related to the payments and aggregators and exchanges like Kyber, um, OneInch, and, and DYDX, which is really connected, uh, just intrinsically connected to the borrowing and lending applications like Compound and Aave, which is intrinsically running on the demand for various assets on Ethereum, like that come from MakerDAO, Synthetix, and UMA, and SET. And then those applications run on the liquidity pool. So we're back at the very beginning. And so this ecosystem, this one single composed structure offers incentives to place your assets there. Assets in this vortex are more useful, are greater, are stronger, are more uh, valuable. It's more valuable to have your assets inside of this vortex, right? And so wherever value is coming from outside of Ethereum into Ethereum, uh, it's getting funneled into this vortex because you are able to leverage the value inside of those assets better. And so as it sucks those assets in, it also grows larger, right? Because liquidity begets liquidity. Utility so begets utility. Things beget things. Like it's, it's a place of begetting. Yeah. And so, you know, someone was uh, asking the question, uh, where's Ethereum in this vortex, right? So there's DeFi, the DeFi vortex in the center, but there's no Ethereum. Where's, where's Ethereum? The whole thing is Ethereum, like, right? Okay. The Ethereum is the substrate. Ethereum is this, it's, it's the background, right? And that's one of the beauties about Ether and Ethereum is like the whole principle, the whole ethos of this system is that you can operate in, the, Ethereum operates in the background. It is in the Ether, right? It is not in your face. And it's one of the core differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? Bitcoin is designed to be in your face. You're supposed to think, think in Satoshis. You're supposed to think in Bitcoins, denominate yourself in Bitcoin assets. And Ethereum is the opposite. It's right. Like you can use and leverage Ethereum without having to think about Ethereum, the network or Ether, the asset, because those things operate in the background. And so what this, you, you can just rename DeFi Vortex and you can basically just label that Ethereum. That's what it is. It also, not to break that analogy because I like it, but it also makes me wonder, and this is kind of a question I have for Vitalik, right? We are very um, bullish on the DeFi system as a bankless money system and as being a primary use case for crypto. Um, it's not necessarily the only use case for Ethereum. Uh, Vitalik makes that point too. So it's, it's possible you could have like, you know, uh, on the planet of Jupiter, how you have all of these swirling clouds, these swirling vortexes, and you have the the red spot, which is the, the largest of the vortexes. Um, but then you have all of these other smaller hurricanes that are happening in parallel. I, I do wonder if other um, vortexes will emerge that aren't DeFi on Ethereum as well. Um, 
you know, haven't necessarily seen that yet. Most of the use cases have been tied to finance and, and money, but um, it is an interesting question because this is a, this is really a general purpose settlement system, property settlement system for the world. And it, it's hard to imagine what the next use cases might be. I mean, I think that's the beauty of it, right? Absolutely. And, and I think the, I think the DeFi vortex in this image here, I think it, 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 there's a theory that I have that this is also the L1 vortex, right? This is where all of the big applications, the tools that support everything else on Ethereum rely on, right? And so not only are we going to see certain transactions be on L1 or on, on L2, but we're going to also see certain applications be on L1 and on L2, right? Like I predict that Compound and Maker and are going to be perpetually L1 applications. And then some exchanges, perhaps like, like uh, Uniswap, we see experiments on L2, Balancer on L2. Like the difference between L1 and L2 is that like uh, they're big, heavyweight applications. And the L2, each L2 is its own ecosystem, right? And so there can be L2 vortexes that build off of the L1 vortex, right? And so I think what we are showing here is the, the, the stitching together of all the different financial acti activity. But it's because it's all happening at the same time, like that's why gas prices are so insane right now. And we've seen this insane emergence of L2 systems be developed and released in the last six months. I think we're going to start to see some, some mini vortexes spiraling off of this uh, one big vortex. Yeah, absolutely. And that reminds me, David, we should talk about our sponsors for a minute. All right. So we are super excited to have Diversify as a sponsor. Diversify is one of the vortexes that David was just talking about. This is a professional grade DeFi exchange, a decentralized exchange. So it's completely self-custodial. It's built for serious traders. It's high speed, it's low fee, it's private, and it's deeply liquid. 9,000 9, transactions per second. So that's instant execution and low fees. My question to you is, why use a centralized exchange? Uh, we are starting to build out exchanges like Diversify in the DeFi space, and you should check them out. They also have a governance token called Nectar. That's N-E-C. You should check it out. It powers their DAO. It currently has over 400 ETH inside of it and a lot more ETH pledged. It's a perpetually deflationary token as well. So it's they, they have a buyback and burn scheme. And these guys with, with NEC, Diversify was one of the original liquidity miners back in the day. They were liquidity mining before it was cool. So check out what they're doing on their governance token NEC. Uh, also check out Diversify. Start using it as an exchange. Go to diversify.com. We will include a link in the show notes. We have a new sponsor called Ampleforth, which is also a new experiment on Ethereum. And so this is going to be a, a, a different, it's a different category than, than other, other sponsors where, because this is brand new, a brand new experiment. And so it's a new monetary experiment. It's like trying to be a new M0, except the way that it's different is that it's instead of having a variable price, it's a stable-ish coin. It's supposed to track a dollar, but when demand for this token grows, instead of the price going up, the supply grow, go, uh, goes up. And so it gives you 
uh, supply discovery instead of price discovery. And so Ample's, the, the currency of the Ample system is a, a new base money experiment and it's very rules-based and like, like Bitcoin, it's very non-dilutive. So with a $20 million market cap, if you buy 1 million of them, you are, have the assurances that you are going to own one 120th of the supply but you don't have assurances of what that supply is going to be. So like crazy experiment where I'm excited to, to watch this play out. So you can take part in the Ample liquidity mining uh, with the geyser at geyser.ampleforth.org. Uh, part of the health of the Ample, uh, Ampleforth ecosystem needs to have distribution. And so if you are interested in helping Ample distribute, uh, you can go to geyser.ampleforth.org. Uh, and uh, check them out and, and get your hands on some Ample via the liquidity mining that we all know and love. All right, David, this uh, is last topic. It kind of ties into the vortex that we were just talking about. Um, and that's when you were talking about the vortex, it made me think about the tech trees I used to play, like games I used to play. Do you ever play, you know, games like Civilization? where it's uh, you know, an RTS mm -hmm. you know, or turn-based strategy types of games. Um, there, there's always in those games, there's always this tech tree component that your civilization has to discover. If you're a character in an in a RPG, you, you kind of have to level up using some sort of tech tree or skill tree. Um, so like in civilization, you know, first comes the alphabet, and then you need to discover the alphabet before you can discover writing and code of laws and that leads to literacy and that eventually leads to a republic and, and then you can get nukes and you protect yourself from Gandhi who's definitely gonna attack you. Um, <laughs> that's a quirk of the game, <laughs> nothing against Gandhi in real life. Um, so, uh, but, but that's, that, yeah, great guy. Um, so that's sort of what's happening with Ethereum right now is there is a tech tree being built out. Um, this is a, a tech tree we just kind of sketched out on Bankless that, that looks uh, at sort of the launch area where we started with ETH and then we started with this very basic primitive that we discovered, we created, but also discovered um, called the ERC-20. And mm -hmm. that led to the birth of ICOs. And that was sort of the, the first phase of unlocking in the tech tree. But once we had tokens, then we could start creating uh, something else. And we enter into this kind of collateral era where we're starting to create things like lending protocols, like Compound and stablecoin protocols like Maker, and also trading protocols like Uniswap. And then once we unlock all of those, we can then start to unlock other things like the DAI savings rate, which is basically a kind of a savings account for your DAI. And then once we have that, we can start to unlock other things like uh, the Argent Wallet, which is new. Argent Wallet wouldn't be very interesting if all of these other primitives in the tech tree haven't been built out. And it's only possible in year like you know three or four of Ethereum. It would not have been possible in year one. So we keep going through the tech tree as a, an Ethereum civilization, as a bankless nation. We keep unlocking things as we go and discovering new things. And then a whole new world of possibilities uh, opens up like who who would have known that you know the invention of writing would lead to um, you know landing a man on the moon right mm -hmm. but we had to have writing in order to get us way downstream in the tech tree and that's sort of what I see evolving on uh, on Ethereum. Yeah, there's a classic line in the crypto space that crypto, the crypto world is relearning the lessons of economic and financial history just sped up. 
and that's what I see here, right? Like the, the ERC token is a symbol of value. And then you have the store of value ETH. And then we have all just the, the, we have credit coming out of the maker system. We have bundles of assets coming out of set. Uh, and and I, that's what I see. We are relearning the, the progress of history on Ethereum. And I'm, what I'm really excited for is, is seeing when we actually start to break through the frontier into brand new things. And perhaps that's what uh, liquidity mining and, and, and DeFi tokens have been in this last new phase. Uh, and the, what really gets me excited is the compounding rate of progress that you get with this, right? So, and at the very beginning in your launch era that you have highlighted, there's only a few things that are really crucial. Uh, and then in the next area, there's a lot more things because the building blocks compound. And so there, in, in, in the world of Ethereum, the more protocols there are on Ethereum, the more DAI, the more Uniswap, the more whatever, Compound, Aave, Maker, like the more things, the more potential there are for more things. And so, and so that's why developers are so important, right? Compounding progress leads to uh, compounding developers, which leads to compounding progress, right? And so I think with this turn of the page that Ethereum has really seemed to have taken lately, we're about to see a lot of compounding progress on Ethereum. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to go back to that uh, the phrase that Chris Berninski used in our podcast with him, and he called this infinite white space. Um, and I don't know if he's been influenced by, by Bankless, but he talked an awful lot about uh, the journey west and how there was not opportunity on the East Coast. Yeah. And uh, how, you know, pioneers and people who are looking for new opportunities who predominantly were younger or outcast, not part of the existing uh, social structure, found their opportunity west. That's what this is. We are building an entire crypto nation, an entire crypto economy, and there's infinite white space. We have no idea what's going to be unlocked next. But once something's unlocked, there's you know, dozens of protocols that can be built on top of it, hundreds of businesses that mm -hmm. can be on top of it, mm -hmm. ways to earn money. We, like The opportunity is here. And I think it's only a matter of time before millennials and, and Gen Z. Uh, this is definitely going to be uh, a Gen Z type of platform. So Absolutely. at some stage, Dave, you and I will have to pass the torch to the next generation mm -hmm. to, uh, to, to keep carrying us. But um, like, this is where the opportunity is. Um, not in the nation states anymore. They're squeezing that out. We've, we've got opportunity in this infinite white space as we unlock each branch of the tech tree. Yeah. And one last thing to wrap up this conversation is that when new protocols come to Ethereum, they make the older protocols better, right? And so uh, the, the, there we go. Uh, when new protocols come onto Ethereum, the old protocols that were there previous can tap into this new system, right? So like the, the oldest protocols on Ethereum, like Augur, are now benefiting from systems like DAI and 0x, which came after them, right? And so like compounding progress also works retroactively, right? And so that's why I always say that DeFi and Ethereum is this one single composed structure of financial possibility, right? Because everything relates to everything else. There's no, there's very few things that are disconnected from Ethereum at large, right? Any progress in one domain is progress in all domains. Absolutely. Uh, David, you did a fantastic job today. We're going to wrap it up here, but I just want to say you did a great job video DJing, man. He's, it's just, you blew me away. Hey, uh, I, I appreciate that, man. Uh, but uh, let's hope that it actually works because I haven't <laughs> seen it when it when it plays. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens. All right. Well, if 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 it works, we should do this every week. It was great. I think we will so, do it every week. 
Bankless Nation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bankless Nation, uh, you know, not a ton by way of action items, but one thing we'd like you to do is we'll include a link to the Twitter thread um, with Vitalik where we ask what questions do you have for Vitalik? Uh, we'd love to tee up some good questions from the Bankless community for that. The other thing you can do is think about the next crypto narratives. If you want to dabble a little bit in narrative investing, uh, you know, take a look at some what Luke is doing and think a little bit about what the next crypto narratives might be. Put your list together. Um, we, we definitely advise that you have a, um, you know, a, a stronger fundamentals-based portfolio, but narrative investing can be an interesting way in, in crypto to produce yields as well. That is it from us. Thanks a lot for tuning in. This has been State of the Nation, episode four. Hang on, I'm going to do a little self-show real quick. Uh, I got an article coming out in Bankless tomorrow that talks a lot about what we have been talking about in this episode. Uh, it's, it's titled uh, The Global Public Goods and the Protocol Sync. It definitely relates to how all protocols impact each other. And also it talks about what, what is at the very bottom of the gravity well, that DeFi liquidity vortex, what's at the bottom? And that, that answer, uh, that article answers that question. So that's coming out on Bankless tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. I want to find out what's at the bottom. What's David. at the bottom? What's at the bottom? <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs>